Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good. So my name is Jake Herring. Um, I am an elder here at New Life Church, and I know that sounds like a a bit of a strange word when I was asked to become or to take part in the elder process. I thought, surely, um, because of the fact that I can't grow a beard that goes down to the floor and is white, that I wouldn't qualify, and I don't like to wear robes uh, in meetings. Um, And I always thought, you know, I I pictured they would sit there in the elder meetings and and along with Brian in their robes and their long beards, and they would say, yes, uh, mark it on the scroll that we will have a float in the parade again this year. Um, So anyway, that's not how it really is. Um, So we've been going through Colossians, and Pastor Brian preached on Colossians uh, last week, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, Before this service, we do a volunteer service, and it it happens just almost immediately before this. And we went a little, we were a little shorter than normal, and a lot of it is because I removed some of the humor that I normally uh, bring. And anyway, I was in the hallway, and I thought, well, that wasn't very much fun. I should, I should put that back in there. So uh, I saw Jim out in the hallway, and he, and he said, I'm really excited about the humor you're going to bring. And I thought, well, I hadn't planned anything. So immediately, as I was sitting here, I'm thinking, what are the things that I find funny? So, you know, visions of bears on unicycles and, um, and funny cat fail videos. Those are always good. Uh, but I don't have any in mind. And, you know, surely bathroom humor works, but it's inappropriate, so I better not do that. Um, so anyway, maybe, something will, maybe, maybe we'll find something along the way here that, that can fill the gap. But it's great to have you today. I'm so pleased to be here. And uh, we're going to get into into the, uh, Paul's letters to the Colossians. So, having said that, last week, Pastor Brian, again, spoke on Colossians verses 1 through 14. To really quickly recap, um, we went through, in verse 9, growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10, meaning chapter 1, verse 10, living a life worthy of God. Uh, verse 11, being strengthened with power. And then Brian really pressed us and charged us and, all, and, and really challenged us to go deep into the things of God, into the things of his character, and into the scripture, and really enjoy and dig and mine for those revelations that we'll get. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up, uh, right where he left off today. So, today, we'll do verses 15 through 23, and it's really tight and loaded, which is fun, um, but you'll have to bear with me at some, at some points. Um, Verses 15 through 23, um, Paul's going to describe Jesus, and I read some commentaries that said it is the most powerful description of Jesus in the scripture, in the text, in the Bible. Um, So for some odd reason, they decided that I should preach on that, which is pretty scary, but we'll get there one way or another. Um, So he does two things. He describes Jesus, and then Paul lays out a contrasting version of who we were and who we are now that Jesus has entered our life and we've decided to follow him. So, having said that, the text, it goes a bit back and forth, Paul's style of writing. He may lay out a few points and then go back to one, and lay out a few more points and go back to one. And I don't want to use the word confusing. I would rather use the word loaded or packed. But we'll do our best not to make this confusing, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come here in a minute and help us interpret that. Um, 
Having said that, if you've heard me preach before, um, I like to say I'm a crafty veteran. This is the fourth time I've done this, so it's, you know, I've got quite the status here. But usually, um, for lack of, of, a, of a master's of divinity or a, a, a doctorate of theology, um, I use a lot of slides, and that's how I get through that. So anyway, usually I bring up maps. I was traveling a few weeks ago, and I got a random text from Cody, who was the nice young gentleman who led worship here this morning. Uh, and he said, Brian's using a map. And I was out of town again traveling. I thought, well, that's my thing. Now what am I going to do? This was only two weeks ago. And if you were here, you probably saw the map, said map, didn't you? So anyway, go ahead and bring up the text thread from Cody. I'm not proud of this, but this is what was said. So Cody says, Brian's using a, this map on Sunday. As you know, as an expert in maps alone, not, in, not a master's of divinity, not a doctorate uh, of of theology, all I have are these maps. That's what I come with, folks. So Brian takes the maps, and my reply, that's a sad map, what a rookie. (laughs) Now, I don't mean a rookie in all things, just in map picking, that's all I meant it in. Cody wisely just does laugh out loud. So, but the bigger thing about this text thread is that you look at the very top, I wasn't even thinking about this. I called Brian yesterday and said, hey, I'm gonna make a joke, kind of at you and Cody and my expense, but we're doing it, and he said, do it. So, on July 30th, at 10, what's that say, 1022 or 1032, it doesn't matter. Where are we on Sundays at 1020 to 1030? Right here. So, I was texting in church back in July. I texted Cody the question, I wonder what metaphysical means. He never replied. What were you talking about? (laughs) So, anyway, that corroborates, that's corroborating evidence that he knows way more than I do. This is just about map picking, but anyway... I don't really know what metaphysical means because Cody didn't text back in church. But anyway, do not get that phone out and Google it right now because only I can do that sort of thing, mess on my phone in church. So anyway, no map today, but I think that just if if the Apostle Paul were telling uh, one of his followers or disciples how to get to Colossae, you know, it would be basically you head north out of Jerusalem along the Mediterranean when you get... You know, just past Antioch, you take a left at the light there, and then um, a couple of mountain passes over, and you're there. So that would be modern-day Turkey. If you go to Ephesus, you've gone too far. So anyway, um, that's kind of where we're talking about. The world of, in the gospel in the ancient world from the time of Jesus is his spread. Some years have been behind it. From the, time, from the time that Jesus walked and talked and died and was resurrected, a little bit of time has gone on, and the gospel has spread. Does that make sense? And what we're talking about here is, again, modern-day Turkey. We've been Asia Minor, just basically the north, we would say the northeast of the Mediterranean, inland a little bit, and that's where Colossae would be. Make sense? All right. So let's go to, we'll go ahead and get into, actually, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sense of humor. We thank you that it allows us to be who we are and allows us to enjoy you and enjoy your scripture and enjoy each other. Father, this text is loaded and it's about you and it's about your glory. And in light of that, I wanna honor you today. And I also understand that our minds are trying to grasp something that is eternal and large and powerful and majestic and it's tough. So we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to come into this room Dwell with us today and give us the spirit of revelation, Father, and have a little bit of revival in there. Fill our hearts up and spark that fire again. Your sons and your daughters have gathered 
And we ask that you meet us here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Sly, or I'm sorry, let's go to Colossians uh, 1.15. So he, meaning Jesus, Paul's talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So again, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus was not this new um, fraction or portion or part of God. Jesus was God fully, the God of creation in Genesis that created the heavens and the earth that spoke it to be. In the beginning, there was God. Jesus is fully God. And we're going to get into more of that, but that's the first point that Paul is saying. Jesus is his full divinity, full power, full might, full majesty, full history, the beginning and the end. He's fully God, Jesus is. Okay? Revelations 1.4, again talking about Jesus. He was, is, and is to come. You with me? All right. Transitioning from that, Paul's going to build on it in verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things used twice is meant to to stress the importance of understanding that everything has been created by God. How could that be? Because I'm pretty sure that um, Brian built this in his garage, this podium here. Pastor Brian built that in his garage. But how could that be? That didn't happen. How could that be? How could could things that we've created, if I, I like to do woodworking and I feel like I create things, how could it be that God created what I've created? Because on an atomic, molecular level, all matter, all being, all, all structure of the very foundation of life was spoken into existence by God. Everything was created by God. All emotion, things unseen, all emotion, all feeling, all love, all pain, the ability to have free will, all created by God. Everything that we can see, touch, grasp is all rooted in a, in a creation of God when he created life. Let there be Life. None of it would be here. In the beginning, there was God, period. Make sense? If anybody is familiar with David Platt, I lifted a great quote from him. He said, we are created for him, for his glory, for his exaltation, not for ourselves. Everything we have is not ultimately for us. It's ultimately for him. When you realize these things about Jesus, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you pray. So you were created by God as he's the owner of the gift of life. You were created by God for his own enjoyment and benefit. And if that strikes you as weird, everything I've ever created was of of a desire to like it, to love it. Why would I create something that I would? So you were created by God for him, for his enjoyment, because he enjoys you. He loves you. So he created you. He created everything else also. Verses 17 through 18 of chapter 1. So he's the creator. And now Paul is going to establish his position in all of that. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's still grasping the world and all of creation with that creative power. It still is fueled by Jesus. Now, all things hold together 
through Jesus. I asked, we, we do preaching team as we, as we prepare for these sermons, and I said, I need a verse of saying that all Jesus' power of life is still plugged in and still fueling it. I can't seem to find it. It's right in the scripture I was exactly quoting, right, right out of the text, right there. He holds all things together. Not like he created them and he set them on their way. His power is alive and active today. Moving on. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he was the firstborn, both in chronological order, meaning he was the God of Genesis. In the beginning, there was God. He was first. But also first, firstborn, meaning his status is higher above all things. Firstborn, meaning he gets first rights. He created it. He was before it. He's above it. Still with me? That's good, because I lost my place. <laughs> we'll find it. All right, so he's the head of the body of the church. He was first in his highest, awarding him the right to lead and to sit in the seat of supremacy over his church and everything. He alone has the right to be preeminent over all. All right. So... He's describing God. Now we're going to pivot a little bit. Describing God and Jesus as one. Now we're going to pivot to how that starts to slowly move into our lives a little bit more and in a greater way. So we'll go to verse 19. For in him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the word all in scripture can sometimes mean a large number. It doesn't mean always like all-encompassing. Sometimes it can mean a large number like all the people of, uh, of Israel knew that John was a prophet. Okay? Or you could say, in our terms, all of the people in Morton love pumpkins. <laughs> Which can't mean all everybody because have you smelled what it's like out there? No way everybody likes that. And if you're here and you're from Washington or, or East Peoria or, Mor- or, uh, or Tremont um, or Pekin, it's okay to tell them, listen, I love pumpkins too, but your town smells bad. That's, that's okay to do. Um, but all in this sense isn't just a large portion of all, meaning all-encompassing. So another definition of all. So again, Scripture points to all just as a large number sometimes. But as Paul writes this, I don't know if he knows that, but he seems to head it off anyway by also using the word fullness in the same sentence. And that caps it. Which version of the, which, which definition of all Are we talking about the complete version of all? So all, the whole quantity, extent, duration, amount, quality, or degree, the whole or entire thing or all the parts or particulars which compose it. Everything. All of God was in Jesus. Fullness also used the state of being filled as to leave no part vacant. He was God completely. All of God of Genesis, all of the God of the creator, owner of the heavens and the earth, author of life, the power to give life, all in Jesus. Not a portion of, not a part of, not a fraction of, all of it in Jesus. We'll go a little deeper. First, we'll, we'll throw some supporting scripture, and then we'll go deeper. So First uh, Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. What a great mystery is that. All godliness manifested in flesh. 
goes on, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. All of God in Jesus. The word is God incarnate, to clothe with flesh. God covered in flesh. So Jesus, again, not a portion or a part of, all of God covered in flesh incarnate. Make sense? All of his past, all of the history, all of creation, everything that happened, all the power that it took to make it happen, all in Jesus. Why? Why would God put all of his power into the form of a man and ultimately send him here to do what we're going to talk about? He did. Why would he do that? Let's go to verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Just sit on that for a minute. Why would he have left heaven, come down here, and clothed all of his power and all of his righteousness and all of his glory? Why would he do that? To reconcile you back to himself. Because again, he created you because he loved you and wanted to enjoy you. All sin leads to death. That's the actual problem he's coming to solve. All sin leads to death. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Genesis two seventeen. This is God talking to Adam and Eve. But from the tree of life, I'm sorry, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat from it, you will surely die because you sin when you do that. He told them not to eat from it because he knew if they disobeyed, sin leads to death. So previously, the representation of that death is bloodshed. This is going to get a little hard for the next five minutes, but stick with me. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Before Jesus came, in what we call now the Old Testament, um, when they repented and wanted an atonement for sin, they would have to sacrifice a, a goat or a, or a bull, the best, of their, the best of their herd, Right? Though that didn't actually pay the price for sin, it represented to them and to God the death, the blood that was required to atone for sin. Jesus' death, that we're going to learn about in a second, actually paid the price. His judgment was withheld through that time. But there still had to be death and blood spilled on the altar to represent the weight of what sin has done. It leads to death. It did it for Adam and Eve in the garden from the very first time, and it does all the way to you and I. Our sin leads to death, leads to bloodshed. Stick with me. So, when Jesus died on the cross, we'll have to go quickly through this, we don't have time, but that's what happened. Jesus comes in the form of a man. He, he incarnates all of that deity and power in the body of Jesus Christ. He comes and he dies on the cross. And what did that do? Though the blood of the goats and the calves was necessary, it didn't actually fulfill the atonement. Jesus' blood fulfilled the atonement. So when that happened, 
in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle or the temple, and within that, there was an inner room called the Holy of Holies, okay? And there was a large curtain, I mean thick, large curtain, that blocked anybody from entering the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. And there was this disconnect between God's spirit, which was inside the Holy of Holies, and the people, right? Jesus dies on the cross. That atonement of the blood necessary is fulfilled for all the sins committed before and all of the sins committed after. And that veil was torn from two. Jess Wilmarth wanted me to say, make sure you say from heaven down to earth, from top to bottom, God tore that veil in two. And now we get to freely come into the presence of God and commune with him. The Bible says we come boldly. It's awesome. But Jesus' body, this body incarnate, the Bible, lots of scripture, uh, um, American Standard Version said he was veiled. His power was veiled in this body of flesh. So there's kind of two veils. The veil blocking us from the power of God and the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And then all this power and deity and might and history and everything that happened from the beginning of time to this point and everything that happened beyond veiled in this body. And ladies and gentlemen, we ripped that veil to shreds. We ripped it to shreds. Two veils were torn. So that the veil in the Holy of Holies could be torn. And the best news is yet to come that when our life is over, and we enter into God's presence, we will get to see what was behind that veil of flesh and body. That veil will be removed as well. You will get to see the bronze skin, the hair of wool, the eyes of fire, a God that clothes himself in light. You will enter in to God's power. You will see him in all of his glory if you're a follower of Jesus because of his blood that was spilled from the veil being torn. It's awesome. Outstanding. Boy, I walked all the way over there, finished the point. The next point is all the way over here, so we'll just kind of meander and speak nonsense till we get there. You gotta laugh about it. All right. So I said that Paul lays out a con- two contrasting versions of who we were to now who we are. I'm sorry, contrasting version of between how we were and how we are if we're followers of Jesus. We'll go to verse 21. And you, meaning us and the people in Colossae, see the letter was to the Colossians, but it becomes scripture and now is broadcast all over the world to all of us, right? It's for us, to us. From God, through Paul, that's how it happens. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We're just gonna stop right there alienated yeah before you knew God before you decided to lay your life down and follow Jesus you were alienated from God alienated means estranged or withdrawn from a stranger to you did not know God we were enemies sin and alienation and separation from God causes hostility to God I remember I was um, so really quickly Um, I grew up in a very charismatic church. Um, I don't think I was a believer. I don't know. I know that sounds strange, but I wouldn't have wanted to bet my eternity on my relationship with God as a kid. Um, It's about the age of 12. um, I become to develop a fear, and I know that sounds strange, but a fear of like the end times from some curriculum that I was shown, and it just scared the daylights out of me. 
And I didn't really tell anybody exactly why, but what I did was I just knew that I associated church and youth group with fear and it would launch me into just where almost like a, a, an obsessive compulsive where I couldn't quit thinking about it. Like, how this is going to be horrible. Because I didn't, it was, it was just a bad presentation of the glory that is the return of God and the wonder and the love and the awesomeness and the, the, the thing that we should look forward to the most. I had a completely opposite takeaway. So I wanted to avoid church, avoid God, because all it did was fill me with fear. But as I walked away from that, even if I was saved or not, I walked away from that, that teaching and that principle that was over there and I ran into the world and I just clouded my mind and distracted myself with everything that you can only imagine or, or a lot of what you can imagine that a kid between the ages of 12 and 19 would get into. Underage partying, just use your imagination, fill in the holes. But what I had developed was a hostility towards God without even knowing it. I remember I was riding in the car one time with my mom and I was a terrible student. And I, I'm guessing that's probably what the conversation was about. I really don't remember. But there was something that I needed, something that needed prayer for, I forget. But she said, well, you could pray for that or ask God for that or you could come to church. She said something along those lines to me. And I said, it doesn't work anyway. And it kind of shocked me that it came out of my mouth and her reaction um, was so notable I never forgot it. I had grown hostile towards God. Even as a young kid, I was a kid. At this age, I think I said that at about the age of 15 or 16. So I had developed um, hostility and, and I was kind of an enemy of God and I didn't even realize that was in me, but that is what happens. When you're not following Jesus, you just go the other way. You may not always feel it, but it's in there. To back that up, um, what's the source of that hostility towards God? If you look at John, uh, John's Gospel, verses eight or chapter eight, verses forty-one through forty-four, I'm going to read this quickly. This is Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, "You are doing the work your father did." They said to him, "We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God." Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you would love me." For I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Question mark. Jesus lays the question out, and then he answers it himself. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I could not bear to go back to church. Driven by fear and clouded by sin. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Wow. I hated my life then. I was full of fear, confused. The devil's a terrible father. He hates you. He hates God. And if you follow him long enough, you will develop a hostility and be an enemy of God. That's the hard truth of it. And I know that from firsthand experience. My story didn't end there. All that fear, uh, constant uh, anxiety and, and leading a life of sin, it came to a head when I was about 19. Even though I wasn't saved, I still knew kind of where home should be just from that little bit of background that I have. So I gave my life to Jesus at 19, 
and I've been following ever since. I would not say that all of the fear and anxiety has gone in my life. That's definitely not true. He's healed a lot, but he hasn't healed everything. But what I do know is now when I experience pain and anxiety and fear and my thoughts get captivated or, or, or I get um, obsessed on one specific thing that's causing that, he's with me now. And I can feel him now and I can work through the things of this world now. There's a fourth man that stands in the fire. You're not alone in the furnace. He doesn't always pull us out, but he's with us on this side. Does that make sense? And I don't, I, I wish, I don't wish, but if I had this awesome testimony, like I was, you know, that's, that's the extent of it. You wouldn't have known if you knew me that I was, I was just full of anguish all the time. And I just know above all things, it's not so much that I'm that much different. I am, but I just know that God is in my life now and we get through it with more joy and so much more hope. Okay. Colossians 1.22. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. The veil was torn. The blood was spilled. The atonement fulfilled. We're right with God. And the best is so much yet to come. You're going to see behind that fleshly veil. It's going to be awesome. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or if you're here today and you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've kind of just gone back to the way that things used to be, or you've let sin reemerge into your life, and you want to just clean that out, the church word for that is called backsliding. We like to do that. We create terms that only we use and nobody else understands them. But that's what it's called if you're, if you're a church person. Um, if you've backslidden or, or, or just reverted back to some of that old character, or if you've never known Jesus at all, or you've wondered about him, but you just haven't ever laid down your life and you don't feel his presence in your life, we can fix that. He stands at the door and he knocks. So John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how long you sinned, how terrible you sinned, who you hurt, who hurt you. It doesn't matter how long you did it for. All sin is washed away by this blood. You don't have the, the, the enemy will tell, he loves to tell you, you, you know, you're uniquely bad. You're uniquely disqualified for salvation or, for, or from love for God because of what you've done. And he pulls us out like, like a lion just pulling out a gazelle from the herd. That's to separate you. It's not true. You don't have the power to create some sort of a sin that this awesome blood, all-powerful blood, cannot cleanse. You can't do it. So just rest in the fact that the blood of Jesus is for you. Whether you're saved and you've backslidden, this blood is for you. What you've done is not more powerful than the blood of God. I don't care what it is. End of story. And that's the hope of salvation. And yes, life is hard. And when we get saved, our life doesn't always get any easier. Some people would say their life's got harder. But there's a fourth man that stands in the fiery furnace. And we have the hope of knowing that that is going to end. We're going to see what's behind the veil. We will have a new body. We will have the most awesome eternity. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot sin beyond this love. It is for you, and he wants with every fiber of his being to give it to you. That's why he allowed his body to be ripped to shreds. 
by the very people he's trying to forgive. All right. So if you're that person, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. No pain, no trauma, no addiction. Nothing can outweigh the power of this blood. Nothing. Repeat after me if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. Heavenly Father, I've sinned and I'm sorry. I don't want to live the way that I've been living and I want to follow you. I accept you as Lord of my life and as my Savior. Will you wash my sins away and forgive me? If you've backslidden, it's real simple. Just repeat after me. If you feel it in your heart. Jesus, I followed you. I still want to follow you, but I'm not right because I've allowed sin to get into my life. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm struggling in my weakness. And I pray that you come along with your strength and with your love and wash me clean and put me right with you. So, some of you are followers of Jesus and you've been doing it for a long time and you're hearing this. What is your response to it all? We'll close with Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. Man, he loves you. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for his God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his herd. You're in a safe spot, full of hope. Follow Jesus. Keep going. Paul's going to end really quickly in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, which I Paul, became a minister. The sky, the grass, the trees, the clouds, everything screams and shouts the awesome divinity of God. It screams his name. He's real. Don't go back to the way it was. There wasn't anything for you there. The retirement plan there was not good. The retirement plan here is awesome. The cliche would be out of this world, but that wasn't my thought. Somebody else made that connection long ago. Go after God. Keep going after God. Go deeper into God. As Brian said last week, plunge deep. Mine for it. Dig for it. He's awesome. And you're the apple of his eye. You're his beloved. You son, you daughter are God's favorite. And if it were just you, he would have come anyway and died on that cross.